In the construction business and can't find what you need, Quality Supply and Tool has served Hoosiers for over a quarter of a century. Tom Hawk is the branch manager of the Indy location on South Harding Street. We've always been big on keeping our shelves fully stocked of inventory of industrial-grade tools, concrete, masonry products, as well as the necessary accessories to help get the job done. You don't have it, you can't sell it. Our experience allows us to help with getting the pros as well as the weekend pro taken care of. Quality Supply and Tool also has locations in Bloomington, Lafayette, and Jeffersonville to help you think outside the box store. Only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson. Brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box. Store on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. On a Friday and the best weekend of the year is upon us. Now we await for the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500 Mile race. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond the Bricks. My name is Jake Quarry. Mike Thompson here as well. Sam Fritz, Eddie Garrison have worked oh so hard to help put this show together for us over the course of the month. We also have to tip the cap at all times to Donald Davidson, not only for kind of planting the seed for this show with his incredible talk of gasoline alley over the years, but also still being a trusted friend and source for both Mike and myself to be able to call if we have questions about storylines or figures of the past at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Todd Meyer also at 93.5-1075, the fan, worked behind the scenes to conduct the scheduling to make all of this possible. So we want to thank all of you for allowing us to once again spend the year or the month of May of this year talking about and hearing about the stories and the personalities Mike Thompson, it is always a pleasure for both of us to be able to do this. It is crazy to think that another year is coming to a close, meaning that we are on the cusp once again of the greatest day of the year and then the ultimate depression of realizing that we're a year from waiting for it again. But a lot of people to thank, obviously, but what a lot of fun to be able to let people hear the voices and the stories of the great men and women that have made the Indianapolis Motor Speedway the greatest sports venue in the world. Oh, absolutely. I had a blast doing this again with you. And and I have a question. Didn't we just start doing this a couple of days ago? I mean, we're already out of shows. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, the month of May becomes kind of a blur, but it's a blur that that I absolutely love, every minute of it, right? And and I you, you people ask me, like, do you get tired? Well, the answer is no, because we run on the same energy and the same adrenaline as everybody else right i mean it literally is what you long for for the entire year and speaking of blurs and i think this is going to be a lot of fun tonight mike because what we're going to do is we're going to blur through the years of the 500 by doing montages to listen back on all of the history that has taken place out there which is super cool yeah now i think these came from I think I can't prove that I'd have to find out, but I think these came from uh, one of our, our really MVP guys. Look, I think people know that in, in all businesses you have, you know, people who are superstars that the people will know, like, like at our, in our place, you know, you're a superstar. People know you. Uh, JMV is a superstar. People know him. You know, let's, we have, let's all not these, get ahead of you know, ourselves. 
Yeah, we have a lot of stars, though. But there's people that are behind the scenes that are also superstars that, that you can't live without. And one of those guys, I think, is Scott Johnston. I don't think enough people really know what kind of work this guy has done over the years. Uh, he's a 500 fan like we are. Uh, he's done an incredible job on a number of shows. Um, if anyone's ever uh, heard the, like, for example, some of the 560 shows that have run on the fan, you know, that's all Scott Johnston. He does a, just a great job with some of these things. And I think he put some of these together many, many years ago when it was the centennial celebration. But these are really cool, basically taking us through decades in about a minute, minute and 15 seconds. And it, I thought it'd be kind of fun to play some of these tonight because it's going to spur some memories for people and give us a chance to just talk about some of our favorite memories. So before we play the first, I guess we'll set the table by saying this. I want everybody out there to pull up your favorite you know, whether it be an old-fashioned, maybe it be a cold beer, maybe it's a Diet Coke, maybe it's a root beer, maybe it's a cup of coffee, but you're getting set for the weekend, maybe you're planning out your driving route, packing your lunch, whatever it might be, but when we play each of these, we'll play the decade montage and then just kind of go over our memories of it and... Of course, for the early ones, Mike, it might be that we're talking about the memories of other people's memories that we have heard about. But let's begin with this one. We'll go back and start it with the montage that opens covering the era of the 30th Indianapolis 500-mile race. That took place on May 30th of 1946. That, by the way, was the first year that the gentleman working the public address system was a guy by the name of Tom Carnegie. That was his first year in doing that. This montage covers us up all the way to when Roger Ward took the checkered flag for the 43rd Indianapolis 500 in 1959. The minute that those words are said, I know that nothing in the world can stop the race. Checkered flag waving and Mario Rose is the winner. This treacherous northeast turn has claimed another car, Duke Naylor. The drivers had a driver's board where their car numbers were on it, sticking out from the pagoda. Boy, am I happy the winners go. Here's the checkered flag for Troy Rutman. Now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. Well, you know, that phrase came out of a meeting Bill Dean and I had when we were trying to think of a cutaway cue. Bill Vukovic went over the wall, and that car is still burning over there. Bill Vukovic has died as a result of injury suffered on the backstretch in the accident reported to you earlier. Well, it's certainly a great thrill to see Sammy Hayes take the checkered flag. And then... A.J. Voigt. Junior, what's the A stand for? Anthony, the, the checkered flag for Jimmy Bryan, champion of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. What's the A stand for there, AJ? Anthony. <laughs> that was AJ Foyt's rookie year. Uh, man, a lot of great stuff in there. A lot of great stuff. Troy Rutman, the fastest, uh, or excuse me, the youngest winner at the Indianapolis 500. Um, you heard obviously the tragedy of the Bill Vukovic accident. Mike, I think when I hear those races and I hear those moments, I think about two things. I think about the drivers that we've heard from over the course of the month on this program, Bob Swikert and Lee Wallard and Jimmy Bryan that won races back in that era. And I think like a lot of people, Mike, I think about this. And this is what makes the Indianapolis 500 and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, to me, so special and I think to a lot of people, so special. There are a few places that every person sitting in it has a personal connection, like the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. 
And that personal connection oftentimes, as I have perhaps belabored on this program, is personal. And I say it not because I'm unique or special or have any more of a personal connection than any of the other 290,000 people that will be there on race day, but rather because I think it represents what everyone feels. When I think of IMS, Mike, I think about my great-aunt Dottie that lived on 25th Street. I think about my great-uncle Walt that lived over in the shadows of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in Speedway. I think about my grandparents, Honey and Nana, as we called them, that lived in Claremont. And I think about how all of them, from the time they were young, climbed trees to peer into the Speedway to when they were adults, went to the race themselves with picnic baskets, and then ultimately in their elder years provided a parking spot for my dad and I or simply liked to sit and watch the crowds. And when I hear Bob Swikert and Bill Vukovich and Lee Wallard and Sid Collins and A.J. Foyt, when I hear all of those names and I hear all of those broadcasts, I think of my relatives and the fact that they told me of listening to or viewing those races and how those were the names that were legendary to them. And they live on now as legendary to me because it's my link. It's my connection to my family and to my loved ones who have passed and the place that they always told me about. And Mike, that's what makes that place so special because my story is unique to me but common amongst the masses that will again congregate at 16th and Georgetown. Oh, I agree hundred percent. I mean, I have the same sort of situation. It makes me, you know, the link is, it makes me think of my late uncle Ron and my uncle Bill and my dad and, and all my cousins. We all listening to the race on radio, you know, in the backyard at my, my grandmother's house, you know, having so much fun. And it's, it's that common link of something that brings you joy. It brings you so much joy and it, it, it brings you a, a smile on your face. And so, you know, you can't help but think about with a smile on your face those times. And so I can totally understand exactly what you're talking about. You know, those memories that bring you immediate joy. That's the, that connection that we have with the other 290,000 other people. You know, the Indianapolis 500 mile race during that time and in the early years, in particular, when Tony Holman bought the track and decided that it was going to become the biggest sporting event in the world it was always from the get-go a place that was the ultimate showcase of innovation at one time it wasn't even necessarily designed to be the showcase of innovation but rather the breeding ground for it a place where the car could become perfected and more mainstream and then the eyes of the world started to turn with the ears of it to the roars of the sounds of the cars that were taking place in Indianapolis. And Indianapolis became a euphemism euphemism synonymous with speed and innovation and the automobile itself. And as we heard about, it became bigger and bigger and started to roar louder and louder through the 50s. And then the 1960s arrived. A decade, of course, which began with the win of Jim Rathman in an epic duel and a decade that ended with a win by perhaps the most famous man ever to run a race car in Mario Andretti. The decade that was that began with the 44th running of the Indianapolis 500 mile race, the 60s at IMS. Bill Ward 
Then Rathman. It's Rathman ahead of Ward by a fair margin. Looks like about 65 feet right now. What happened to Ward? Now coming in for a pitch stop is Eddie Sachs. A.J. Foyt takes the lead from Eddie Sachs in the south third. A.J. Foyt, winner of the golden anniversary 500 mile. I figured first place was all over with. Coming down the main stretch now is Roger Ward, the winner. And there's the checkered flag for Parnelli Jones. The only thing I can say is I love everybody. There has been a spectacular crash. There's so much fire and so much smoke. Eddie Sachs was fatally injured in the accident on the main straightaway. No one is, is moving on the racetrack. They're standing silently. The checkered flag for Jimmy Clark of Doom Scotland. I must say, what a smooth day that ever holds. We have an accident on the main stretch, Mike. There's the checkered flag for Graham Hill. Cardinelli Jones is almost at a halt on turn number four. A.J. Foyt has received the checkered flag. There's a checkered flag for Bobby Unser. Can't believe I'm here. Mario Andretti, winner of the 1969 500-mile race. We should also mention, because I think sometimes it gets lost, understandably, in the popularity of Eddie Sachs, that Dave McDonald was also fatally injured in that tragic crash that began the 1964 race. Uh, One of the other things that happened in the 60s that perhaps gets lost, you know, you obviously had Graham Hill winning, and we know, you know what a tremendous champion Graham Hill was. But in addition to that, Bobby Unser became, that was the first of his three wins in becoming the first of just two men to win in three different decades. 68, 75, of course, and 81. But Mike, you want to talk about an era that, sure, there was the British invasion from the music standpoint that took place in the 60s, but there was an absolute talent infusion and invasion from around the world of drivers that made names for themselves at the Indianapolis 500. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you look at some of the names that didn't make the race in 1967, and I I will maintain always that the 67 field top to bottom is the greatest field of all time. Uh, We, you know, you look at those names and think about the people who didn't make that race. I mean, Pedro Rodriguez and guys like that who, you know, who didn't make the race that year. What a great field. And like you said, the fact that all this talent came, you know, I mean, you have guys like Jock and Rent coming to the race and Mastin Gregory and, and Graham Hill and Jackie Stewart and you know, just an amazing group of talent that was coming to the race. And that was just from Formula One. That didn't even factor in. I mean, Cale Yarborough and, oh, you know, Dennis guys Hume. like, you know, yeah, Denny Hume, Leroy Yarborough. I mean, just a just an amazing group of talent that was that was coming to the to be in the 500 because that was the place to be. How about this? The 1967 Indianapolis 500 mile race, which of course was won by A.J. Foyt. The bottom five finishers, Mario Andretti, well, Wally Dallenbach, Mario Andretti, Jim Clark, Graham Hill, Lloyd Ruby. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, yeah you, you'd take that as a team. If you could get a team like that to, to, together, you'd, you'd feel pretty good about your chances with that group. Just the fact that Mario Andretti, Jim Clark, and Graham Hill, literally, I mean, they finished, what, 30th, 31st, and 32nd? And that's arguably the three most accomplished drivers of the decade, right? I mean, in terms of worldwide scope. And then, of course, we're forgetting about the fact, as you had mentioned, Rent was in there as well. Um, you, you know, Jackie Stewart driving in the 60s. I mean, he, he was obviously in that race in 67. Just absolutely stacked. And, and I think... I don't know, Mike, because I was born in 1972, and as I had mentioned, you talk about and you think about the fact of a lot of it you go based on what you hear, what you read, and the 60s seemingly, 
not that long ago. But to a young person, it was. It's ancient history, right? But I think that if you had to pick an era where the Indianapolis 500 in terms of a cultural event was at its apex, it might have been the 70s. But absolutely, the platform step for that leading into it was the 60s. Oh, I think no question. Again, I think the 60s with Lotus coming over and and all of the attention that got and Clark winning in dominant fashion in 65 and then, you know, Stewart nearly winning in 66. Hill does win. Clark finishes second. I mean, it just really became the place to be. And then, you know, you you had so much talent coming to the race and it, it really just propelled the 500 to another level, I think. The 1970s were a fascinating decade because I think in the beginning of them, you had a race that was taking place. Perhaps many people saw it as a diversion to the politics of the world. And by that, I mean Vietnam. There were times in this country, I think, where we didn't feel very good about ourselves at periods. But it also was the time of cut off jeans and sideburns and lots and lots of cans of beer in the infield and the snake pit and A.J. Foyt and Johnny Rutherford and Bobby Unser and Evil Knievel outside of the world of motor racing. And then obviously towards the end of the decade, politics within the sport come into play. But Mike, I think when you talk about the Indianapolis 500 as a kids having it on their lunchbox kids riding their Schwinn Stingray in Phoenix, Arizona, pretending that they're at a race somewhere, the wide world of sports and the epicenter of both the party atmosphere and life in excess in the United States. Baby, the 70s were it at IMS. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. The, just continuing to build on what was done in the 60s. Absolutely continuing to build. And, and then, you know, you have ABC – not now not giving the the short shrift that it really gave the 500 in the 60s um you know with the the goofy year like for example the, the year jim clark won where it had to share with the you know pocket billiards championship and it only got a couple minutes of air time and by 1971 it was getting a full you know nighttime uh, tape delay broadcast and things like that so absolutely it was kept going up and up and up in the 70s and you know you look at some of the the people that that came around in the seventies and were, were winning races. And, you know, I mean, Johnny Rutherford's such a great guy. And I mean, you know, we don't talk enough about Gordon Johncock probably. I mean, J- Gordon Johncock probably because he's a guy who let his, his right foot do all the talking, you know, he didn't want to be, you know, a center of attention or doing commercials or things like that. He just wanted to win races, go home, take the trophy and the check. And, you know, that was Gordon Johncock. But I mean, Gordon Johncock was a pretty cool cat in my book. Now, the 1970s from the standpoint of the Indianapolis 500-mile race, and totally agree on Gordon Johncock, by the way, um, Al Unser wins in 1970 in arguably, Mike, I think you would still say to this day the most iconic car, the Johnny Lightning Special. You don't meet anybody that was alive back then that doesn't say the Johnny Lightning Special was their favorite car of all time. No, I, I agree, definitely. And I, I think that that's such an iconic scheme. Just, it's just so immediately identifiable. The decade opened in 1970 with Al Unser, who would go on to become a four-time winner, winning his first of four. The decade would end in 1979 with Rick Mears, who would go on to become a four-time winner, winning his first. 
first of four. Here's how it sounded. The decade of the 70s in the Indianapolis 500. Al Unser, the winner of the 1970 Indianapolis 500. Al Unser, winner of the 1971 Indianapolis 500 mile race. Johnny Lightning car is still the quickest so far. Checkered flag for Mark Donahue. Oh, lots of caulk, Einhofer and Roger Penske. Gordon John Cox still holding on to first place. Yellow flag is out, perhaps uh, just slowing down for race. I really hate to see a race end this way. I would surely like to win the 500 miles. And here's the checkered flag for Johnny Rutherford. Here comes the rain. Bobby Unser may have weathered the storm. Johnny Rutherford doesn't care which lap he leads as long as it's the last one lap number 102 we're here at the crossroads of america goodbye may 2nd sid collins passed away this broadcast crew deeply feels the loss of our leader sid collins in company with the first lady ever gentlemen start your ringtone aj Foyt has won his fourth 500-mile race. Al Unser, the winner of the 1978 500-mile race. Five years, the winner of the 63rd 500-mile race. A decade of absolute triumph. Janet Guthrie, for that matter, becoming the first female participant in the Indianapolis 500. A.J. Foyt becoming the first four-time winner in the Indianapolis 500-mile race. As you heard, a couple of races that were finished in rain. Gordon Johncock winning in 1973 in the rain and as well 1975 bobby unser winning in the rain johnny rutherford in 1976 in the rain and as you also heard a decade of sadness with amongst the other stories that you heard sid collins passing away in 1977 and passing the torch as the chief announcer of the indianapolis 500 to paul page and the 1973 race which was marred in sadness not only from a crewman being killed, and then, of course, the terrible accident involving Swede Savage. It was a range of emotions in the decade, Mike, of the 70s. Yeah, definitely. And it was interesting that there was so much rain in that kind of short period of time, that 73 had the rain problems, 75 had rain problems, as you said, 76 had rain problems. And obviously, you know, 73 was just an utter disaster um, to the point where, um, you know, we're doing a special for WIBC that'll air this weekend. And, you know, it just it was just to the point where even Sid on the air was just saying, you know, you could tell that Sid was over it. I mean, there's a couple different instances where Sid is just like, this is just the biggest disaster we've ever had. And, you know, you could tell Sid is just over it. And, you know, Sid was pretty unflappable, but he was he was definitely wanting that month of May to be over with. So, uh, you know, triumph and tragedy, certainly in, in the decade of the set, which was which was we could say about any decade probably, but uh, certainly the 70s had had its share of that as well. And I think we should probably mention um, that it was Armando Turan was the crewman who was fatally injured when he was running out to assist uh, Sweet Savage. He was working on the same team as Savage, and when that accident happened in 1973, he ran out and was struck by a vehicle that was also going out to assist Savage was fatally injured in that 1973 race. But I think sometimes, um, and what was his attempt, you know, a heroic response by him to go out and instinctively go out to try to help lost his life, but certainly his name should not be forgotten either. But an incredible decade of the 70s at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And again, the biggest triumph of it all, perhaps, A.J. Foyt. 1977 and then of course we would be obviously remiss if we did not mention that that was the final race in 1977 
of Tony Holman as the owner of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, but a breakthrough era for certain. We talked about some of the challenges of the 1973 race. You got to wonder if that fueled Gordon Johncock to try to get finality of winning a race that he could have to hold on to other than 1973. And he might have gotten it. That'll be part of the clip you'll probably hear in the montage of the decade that is next, talking about the 80s. As we take a look back, decade by decade, at the Indianapolis 500-mile race here on Beyond the Bricks. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy, do you hear something? Yes, I hear a mechanic singing to a car. You need some SDP. One a little can can keep you running free. Smoother, cooler, quieter, longer too. The racer's edge was made for you. When engines need a friend, you must agree. That friend is SDP. That ad from 1971 for STP. And, of course, STP legendary Anna Granatelli, the owner that brought STP into the limelight at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway throughout the decade of the 70s. Good evening to you. Jake Quarry here along with Mike Thompson. This is Beyond the Bricks as we take a look back kind of decade by decade. And we just talked about the 1970s. And, Mike, I think for both of us, there is some bias here because we all, no matter what age one is, you defer back to your childhood when it comes to nostalgia and being nostalgic about your childhood. And I know that for both of us, the 1980s was when our eyes suddenly got the size of those silver dollars that Tom Sneva received so many of when he broke the 200-mile-an-hour barrier in the 70s and he got 200 silver dollars out of a helmet. That's about the size that, that my eyes got from the late 70s into the early 80s in becoming familiar with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Absolutely. But before I talk about the 80s, I got to tell you really quick an Andy Granatelli story. I was getting credentials, picking out my credentials when I worked in television. I was working in Toledo at the time, and this was like 1990. And I would save up. And, you know, as a kid, I was like 20 at the time, and I thought it'd be cool to have a new pair of Air Jordans every year. You know, I wouldn't buy practical things. I would buy Air Jordans. And so I was wearing a pair of, like, really flashy Air Jordans at the at the Speedway credential line, and Andy Granatelli was in line with me. And he kept saying to me, those are really snazzy shoes. Those are really – show me those shoes. And I had to kept showing Andy Granatelli my shoes. And then I thought the more I thought about it afterwards, it was – I was thinking – He's looking at this as a promoter and he kept telling, you know, asking me to see him. He was, you know, the promoter mind was going, you know, looking at how the shoes were presented because he kept talking about how the silver matched with the black on the shoes and the red and everything. And I was just thinking that his promotional mind never stopped even after he wasn't working with SDP because he kept looking at the shoes and you could see that promotional mind. So it was kind of cool just looking and having that brief interaction with Andy Granatelli talking about Air Jordans, but 
But talking about the 80s, I mean, the 80s are special to me. Speaking of the 80s, Air Jordans are perfect fodder for it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the 80s are special to me because that was when I first made it to the Speedway. You know, after all those years of being promised you can come to the Speedway when you're 12 years old, well, I finally made it in 1982. So, you know, I have a special affinity for the 80s and the 80s drivers. The 1980s, of course, again, so many big things happened in the 80s in terms of getting the Indianapolis 500 into the main public conscience across the country because you had a newer multimedia or the beginning perhaps of it with people starting to get cable television, people starting to see more racing in general. But then on top of that, you also have the fact that you had, when it comes to the coverage of the Indianapolis 500, you know, in the 80s is when it finally went off of tape delay and they did a live broadcast, Mike. And and you know that all too well, having worked in, in TV for a long time what it meant for the 500 to finally be a live event. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was gigantic to, to have that live presence, and it just continued to make the, the 500 bigger and better every year. I mean, unfortunately, 86, they had the delay with the rain uh, the first year they wanted to do the live, the live race. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, live television just added another element of excitement to the race. The 1980s began, of course, in 1980 with Johnny Rutherford winning in – the Pennzoil Chaparral, one of the great cars of all time. As a matter of fact, the 64th Indianapolis 500-mile race was the race that kicked off the decade. May 25th of 1980, that race took place then. By 1989, to close the decade, it was Emerson Fittipaldi in the Marlboro Special, winning from, again, a dynamic duel with Alan Sir Jr. that finished in 1989, the decade, in the 73rd running of the 500. Here's how it sounded in the montage of the 1980s of the Indy 500. Johnny Rutherford wins the 1980 Indianapolis 500-mile race. There is apparently a fire burning around the bottom of Rick Mears' car. Bobby Unzer has won the Indianapolis 500. A 10-second lead for Gordon Johncock. 8.5 seconds. The interval now just 6 seconds. Mears, one and a half seconds behind Johncock. The white flag, they're side by side. Mears makes it dry. I don't know what to say. I'm just too tired. I have no complaints. We tried to catch him. We just ran out of time. And Tom Steva has won the Indianapolis 500. There are twin checkered flags waiting for Rick Mears. Danny Sullivan spun, gathered the car back up, and continues on. The man from Louisville, the winner of the 500. Let me tell you, I was just holding on. Rahal comes past Kevin Kogan, and Bobby Rahal has won his first Indianapolis 500. Mario Andretti slows down. Roberto Guerrero is in. He stalls the engine. It's something that a guy can dream about, and it never comes true, but this time it did. In 1988, Rick Mears is going to win. Here comes Allen Jr. on the inside. He's got it. He's got it. He touch wheels. Allen Jr. into the wall hard. Emerson Fittipaldi, he's your winner. I'll tell you what, that 1987 race, let's go back to that. That was the decade of the 80s. Some spectacular stuff there put together by Scott Johnston of the radio calls of the 1980s. And it is interesting to me open disclaimer in my childhood mike my favorite driver when i first started going to the race my first race was 1981 and i recall seeing rick mears in that fire but of course back then you know the methanol flames were invisible and so you could you kind of see the waves but i remember i was a kid i was eight and a half years old thinking like why is that man like jumping around like that 
Then going back in 1983 and seeing Tom Sneva win the race, the gas man finally getting it done. But the guy that became my favorite driver, and I don't know why, I think it's just simply because he finished second, third, and fourth in his first three races, was Roberto Guerrero. I absolutely loved Roberto Guerrero. That's who I pulled for each and every year. And the 80s were the decade that really defined Roberto Guerrero. I I realized that, as we might hear coming up in the 90s, he had a pretty significant moment in the 90s. But for a driver to finish second, third, fourth, and second in his first four races, come so close, and then in 1987, triumph and tragedy really for Roberto Guerrero, not in that order. But a lot of people probably, Mike, don't remember or recall. Obviously, there was a terrible accident that took place with a tire going into the stands in 1987. That tire that came off of Tony Bettenhausen's car had ricocheted off the nose of Roberto Guerrero's car. And I've talked to Roberto Guerrero about it and being fortunate enough to to meet and interview him as an adult. And that stall that happened in 1987 at the end of the race on his final pit stop and he had the race in hand after Mario Andretti had slowed down you know that gearbox jarring loose they believe is because it had been contacted by that tire and boy that that poor thing held out for as long as it could until that last pit stop and then when he gunned it coming out of the pits that the jostling just enough that had taken place to rattle that gearbox did him in and Alan or senior went past And in hindsight, Mike, I guess you look at it and you say, terrible day for Roberto Guerrero, terrible day, obviously, in tragedy in the stands. But in the end, that meant that Alancer Sr. in a car that had been in a showroom a month earlier won the Indianapolis 500, a pretty legendary story, all told in the end. Oh, there's and then there's so many of those type of stories that we can say that about. I mean, that was terrible for Roberto, who's one of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. I mean, we can say a similar thing about 86. Um, you know, it would have been nice redemption story, certainly for Kevin Kogan to win. But it was an incredible story for Bobby Rahal to win and, and give Jim Truman that victory in his last few days of life before he passed away, sadly, of cancer a few days after the race. So uh, there's a lot of those type of races where we can say, um, you know, somebody, you know, somebody won and but it, look at what could have happened as well. So uh, a number of those things, I agree with you 100 percent. And Roberto Guerrero in 1987, after that disappointment, was injured in a tire test, I believe, in October of 1987 that put him into a coma. And then the triumph, Roberto Guerrero coming out of that, um, his wife being told that they would read last rites and he comes out of that coma and later goes on to find himself as a pole sitter of the Indianapolis 500 mile race that alone to me is uh, the ultimate triumph for Roberto Guerrero the 90s a decade that are probably also very special to me because those are my high school and college years and let's face it Mike for anybody high school and college years are kind of the everything was great back then right uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I imagine you were pretty popular in high school. I was not popular, so <laughs> I don't have a lot of fondness for my high school memories other than the fact that I, you know, I liked my my uh, my town, my, my hometown. But uh, I can imagine you were a lot more popular in high school than I was. I have no idea whether or not I would list myself as popular, but I do know that um, I was a big sports enthusiast. That's for certain. I think everybody knew that. And I remember going to the 1990 Indianapolis 500-mile race 
uh, Chris Farkas, by the way, who was popular and was a buddy of mine, took me to the race with his dad. And we set up in turn number one, and I watched Ari Leyendijk win that race, the 74th running on May 27th of 1990 that opened up the decade. I remember thinking to myself, it was so fitting that the Domino's Pizza car was the fast one because that's why they named it the Domino's Pizza Hot One in car number 30 because back then, deliveries were to be 30 minutes or less. Of course, the 90s also were known for the Beast, which was the car that Allenser Jr. took to victory lane just the incredible Mercedes engine that Roger Penske unveiled to win the race. And then, of course, the split of open-wheel racing that took place. We'll talk about some of the personalities of the 1990s, but first, let's take a listen to the decade as it sounded on radio. Ari Leyendijk wins the Indianapolis 5. Rick Mears, the third four-time winner. I never dreamed of even running here, let alone winning one and let alone four. The windchill, 39. The pole car, Roberto Guerrero, has spun off the track. And a crash, they've got a crash again. Another crash. I have never seen anything like this. Michael Andretti, the leader, is slowing down. Goodyear makes a move. Little Al wins by just a few tenths of a... There's nothing more that I could do with it. If there was any error at all, Scott would have had me. You know, it comes to a time when you have to quit. I've always said if it's no longer fun, I'm out. Emerson Fittipaldi wins. Emerson Fittipaldi has hit the wall. Al Unser Jr. has won the 78. Goodyear went around the pace car. Scott Goodyear will get the black flag. Checkered flag is waving and Jacques Villeneuve wins. All the rumors, political haggling and insults are forgotten right now. The 1996 Indianapolis 500 is won by Buddy Lazier. His back looked like a hard-boiled egg smashed on the ground. This race is going to end under the caution flag. And the green flag is being waved. The race is on. Ari Leyendike wins the 1997 in, in his ninth start. Eddie Cheever wins. Kenny Breck has got it. Kenny Breck wins the Indianapolis 500 mile race. And who will be there to greet him? A.J. Foyt. It's just unbelievable. A.J. Foyt, of course, the car owner as Kenny Breck wins the 1999 Indianapolis 500 mile race. Of course, that was the race that the open wheel split took place tony george starting the indy racing league the roger penske team chip ganassi several of them staying within cart and running the u.s 500 in michigan that took place in 1996 jacques villeneuve had been the winner in 1995 one of the things mike there are a lot of drivers i think that you could say that the split cost them perhaps the opportunity for 500 wins or multiple 500 wins Jimmy Vassar, one of those names that many people wonder if he would have won the Indianapolis 500 had the split never taken place. Many believe Allen Jr. could have won more races than just the two that he did win. And Jacques Villeneuve is one of those, quite frankly. And he might have been destined for Formula 1 either way, but I've always wondered how many Jacques Villeneuve could have won had he stayed around because he he ran, obviously, in 94, finished um, in second, and then coming back in 95 and winning the race. Oh, I think Jack Villeneuve was going to go to Formula One either way. So yeah, I, that's I probably it, fair. Yeah, I don't think it would have affected him. But, uh, I mean, certainly the guy that I think of when I think of the split is Greg Moore. I mean, Greg Moore, I think, would have absolutely been a 500 winner at least once had the, uh, the split not happened. And, of course, you know, with Greg Moore himself, you know, being fatally injured, you wonder what could have been. But there are so many storylines Mike that could have taken place and so many storylines you wonder what could have been but I guess the best way to do it is to simply look back and say it was a decade 
that had some pretty exciting moments. I don't know that anything um, jumps out to me even more so than that 1994 Mercedes and that storyline of just how fast and how dominant that car was. And people forget that Emerson Fittipaldi, that was his race. And then as, you know, Alancer Jr., is running right there with them, and as Al Jr. said, they went into turn four, and the old vacuum cleaner got Emerson Fittipaldi. He goes into the wall, and little Al goes on to get his second win. When we come back, it's a new millennium, and we'll continue our look back on Beyond the Bricks. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is Beyond the Bricks, brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box. Store on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jake Query, Mike Thompson, Sam Fritz, Eddie Garrison, Beyond the Bricks, taking a look back decade by decade at the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indianapolis 500-mile race. We've done the 50s and 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and now the 2000s as they've sounded in the Indy 500. Troya wins the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Elio Castro-Neves leads the final 51 laps and wins. Elio Castro-Neves climbs the fence in the front straight. Crash back and do. Paul Tracy has made the pass. The pass will not stand. Two in a row for Elio. I think it's me that won. I mean, I know I was ahead of him. Jonah Farron winning the 87th Indianapolis 500-mile race. We do see some raindrops falling. Buddy Rice from Phoenix, Arizona wins. David Letterman watches. Congratulations. What am I doing? Danica Patrick going side by side with Weldon. She'll be the leader in turn number one. Oh my goodness. Weldon will try to take the lead into one. And he will get the job done. Dan Weldon winning the 89th Indy 500. Here goes Marco Andretti side by side. He's going to make the pass as well. Sam Morton Jr. makes the pass. Here goes, I guess, the Andretti luck because second's nothing here. Dario Franchitti will be the winner. Scott Dixon from New Zealand drives target Chip Ganassi racing into victory lane. Open the door to the three-time winner's club. There's a brand new member, and his name is Elio Castroneves. He wants to go to the fence, and he will. Dario Franchitti is a two-time winner of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. This is Sid Collins saying welcome to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'm Paul Page, the voice of the 500, and we're proud to have you with us once again. From high above the start-finish line, I'm Lou Palmer. This is Bob Jenkins back in the Master Control Tower. Mike King and the entire Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network crew back with you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. No matter where in the world you might be, we, of course, are at the corner of 16th and Georgetown. He's making a move! No! Two hundred turns, five hundred miles of straightaways and banks, three hundred thousand streaming fans. From here, I can see the entire main straightaway. White, blue, and gold. Canary yellow, orange, beautiful blue, white, blue, and red. The world-class brickyard crossing golf course, the infield loaded with canopies, blankets, grills, coolers, and of course, the world's greatest race fan. Unequaled at any other sporting event. Great drivers with beautiful, expensive cars. The Borg Warner Trophy proudly displayed. Victory Lane has been assembled. Closes in. But no. Al Unser Jr. is a winner. And he's on it. WIBC Radio Indiana. 
WIBC, Indianapolis. Now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. Stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. Now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. Now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. Stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. Now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. Off turn four for the final time. Elio Castro Davis comes to the start-finish line. Twin checkers out and then there were four. Elio Castro Mike, there's not much left to say except for this, my friend. For the 107th time, the Indianapolis 500-mile race will take place. God willing, you and I will be able to talk about it afterwards, and more memories will be accumulated in what is unquestionably not only the greatest race in the world, but the greatest sporting event in the world. Been a lot of fun with you this month. Appreciate all of the hard work and the audio, and enjoy it, my friend, and it will be once again a sight to behold, and the sounds will be there of the greatest event we could ask for. Absolutely. Looking forward to adding some new memories to that montage for next time. Thank you to Todd Meyer, Sam Fritz, Eddie Garrison, Mike Thompson. My name is Jake Query. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Bricks, and enjoy the Indianapolis 500-mile race.